as you remain standing, if you can grab your Bible, or if you don't have one, there's some in the pew in front of you, and uh, just remain standing for our scripture reading for this evening. So it's John 13, verses 1 through 17. And we have sung some of the really wonderful, sweet truths that we're going to see in this passage together tonight. So John 13, if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 900. John 13, verses 1 to 17. You can follow along while I read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this text is, maybe obviously, hopefully you see it there, this text is all about love. And Good Friday is all about love. Not sappy, cheap, sentimental love, but get your hands dirty, bloody, never stop to the end love. And I think we all long for that kind of perfect love, but it's so rare in our world that we can get a little cynical 
maybe even a little standoffish when people start talking about love or offering it. You ever find yourself responding that way? We're on guard when people start talking about love. So we can even resist it like Peter did in this text. He didn't know exactly what was going on, but he was resisting this service by Jesus, this loving service. We can hold it out at arm's length. We can doubt that it's really true, or at least that it could be true for for us, that it really is ours. So we need God's help to really believe, to drink in tonight, to experientially know in our lives and celebrate God's love. So rather than just me praying tonight before we look into God's word, I'd like for all of us to join in praying the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. So would you join me if this is your heart, even if you want this to be your heart tonight. Um, Let's pray this prayer together. Hopefully you can see that well enough. Um, We need God's help if we're going to really experientially know, not just in our heads, but really embrace in our hearts the love that God has for us. So let's pray together this, this prayer. Father, according to the riches of your glory, please grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. You are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to your power at work within us. So to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we're going to walk through these first 17 verses of John 13. Um, so we're going to look at it in three sections. There's going to be three different slides, and they'll, they'll let you know when we're moving from one point to the next. It should be easy to follow, but I'll let you know up front. It's verses 1 to 5, and we're going to look at, about, look at the humility of Christ's love. And then secondly, the fact that there's no greater love then what he points to in verses 6 to 11, then finally a call for us to love in verses 12 to 17. So let's just dive right in. Verse 1 is actually more like a heading um, over this section. Look there with me at John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, as in right before the Passover meal, remember Thursday night would have been the Passover, and then Jesus was crucified on Friday, Good Friday. So, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, Jesus didn't just love his disciples while he was on earth. He didn't just love them in any any old sort of way. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the utmost It's another way you could translate that. So he didn't stop short of full, complete, to-the-finish love. So what does that kind of love look like? Well, he demonstrates it here 
in verses 1 to 5. So let's look first at the demonstration of this humble love of Jesus in the first five verses there. So we, we read them earlier. You're probably familiar, many of you are familiar with this story of Jesus actually taking on even the clothing, in a sense, of a, a servant and washing his disciples' feet. And maybe that could be so familiar that we don't realize what a display, what a demonstration of his love that that was. It was shocking. Okay? I mean, maybe you've heard this before, but definitely for those of you that don't understand the, the context of Jesus' time on earth here, foot washing was about as common a practice as anything. So if you walk around a lot in the Middle East in the, the hot, dry, dusty um, wilderness, your feet are going to get really dirty, right? So the normal practice was for water to be provided so that guests could actually wash their own feet. That would be the most normal practice is that you would wash your own feet. If someone did it for you, then they were most certainly a slave. And actually, not just any slave, they were the lowest of slaves. This job was even considered below the dignity of a Jewish slave. It was for the lowest of the low, and yet Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. This kind of thing just was not done. Okay, one of my Seminary professors has a commentary on John, and here's what he wrote, D.A. Carson. There is no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. None. So the whole point is this should really stick out. This should be stunning. It should be shocking to us. It certainly was to the disciples. But lest we get lost in, in that kind of cultural background, let's, sh- let's make sure that we see what's happening here. Look back at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he took up the basin and the towel. So all things had been given into his hands. That is some serious authority, some serious power, right? Ultimate authority and power. So how does Jesus use all authority? He doesn't use it to exploit or to crush us. He used it to serve and lift us up. That's certainly what he did with these disciples. He used his power. He, he knew where he was going. And here he, he kneels to wash the very feet that would soon run away in denial. Because they were going to all scatter, right? When he got arrested. So just think about it here. This is no wonder if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. This is what God is like, God in the flesh. God never exploits his power for his own advantage. He has no need to. He's got nothing to prove. God's very nature is selfless and self-giving, and he demonstrates it here. I mean, just think about what power does in the hands of ordinary human beings. It so easily corrupts. People use it to their own advantage, right? Right? Well, God alone has absolute power, and it does not corrupt him absolutely. Instead, he uses his omnipotence, not selfishly, but selflessly. He uses his power to give and to bless and to serve, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. That's actually exactly what Jesus came for. Do you remember Mark 10, 45, on the lips of Jesus? He said, the Son of Man, which was an exalted title, Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and 
give his life as a ransom for many, which leads us to the second section here. The foot washing wasn't just the display of Jesus' love, though it was. It was intended to be much more than that. It was intended to be a signpost, like a sign sticking in the ground pointing to something greater, okay? That there actually was no greater love than the love he would pour out for his friends. Look at verses 6 to 8. So Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So afterward, after what? Was it just after I'm done and then I explain things to you? You know, if you, if you look a little bit later on, you might be tempted to think that's what it is because he does do some explanation, right? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right. Do you understand what I've done? Um, and he says, I'm giving you an example. So maybe that's part of it, but certainly it's, it's deeper than that because they really didn't get why he came until afterward, after the cross and the resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. Then everything started to make sense. Okay? So it was only after the cross would his disciples truly understand what this foot washing pointed to, what it symbolized. So it actually pointed to a greater cleansing than just dirt off your feet. The cleansing that we all utterly and absolutely need that cannot be ours apart from the work of Christ on the cross. So this foot washing was like a preview-like parable, like a little living preview parable of Jesus' death for them, for us on the cross. So this was the greater humble service, the cross, than the humble service of the foot washing. So it was pointing to the cross. So as stunning as it was that their Lord and teacher would take the place of a low, menial slave to wash their dirty feet with water, dry their feet with a towel around his waist, as stunning as that was, it was nothing in comparison to the utterly stunning reality that the Son of God, God in the flesh, died the most humiliating and shameful of deaths in our place for our sins so that His blood could wash away our sins. So there's no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And there's no greater instance of that no greater love than when Christ Jesus though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be held on to, grasped, used to his own advantage. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, again, we need to stop here and say, you know, we say cross so easily. Just like we can read John 13 about the foot washing and we can read it so easily. In the first century, you did not mention crucifixion in polite conversation. It was the punishment reserved from the, for the lowest of the low. In fact, it actually became associated with the slave class. It's interesting. In 71 BC, so, you know, 
seven decades or so before Jesus is on the scene. Before um, Jesus came, there's this slave rebellion in Spartacus. And more than 6,000 slaves were crucified on the road between Capua and Rome. Just stuck. Imagine walking that road and seeing all of this. So obviously, we're going to shut down the slave rebellion, and it's not going to happen again. We're going to make, you know, make it really clear what happens if, if you people do this. So slave and cross oftentimes went together in the connotations of the minds and people in the first century. So we see how the basin and the towel is a signpost, but not just a signpost of humility and slavery, a signpost of love to the utmost. Okay, There's no greater love in the universe. This day, Good Friday, represents the highest display of love that this universe has ever, will ever know. I mean, don't you love singing these songs about our Savior Jesus? Thank you. I mean, if we just stop and think what he actually endured for us, it wasn't just the physical pain. He actually bore in his body our sins on the tree. So everything you're ashamed of, everything that, that makes you guilty before God, and if you were to stand before his judgment seat, you would have absolutely no appeal. You'd have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and it's just, you're hopeless. All of that transferred to Christ on the cross. He bore all that punishment for you, and what you receive in, his, in, in place of your sin is his righteousness. No condemnation. Justified forevermore. That is the greatest love in the universe. Yeah, amen. Okay, so that is love to the, to the utmost. So God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or 1 John 4, listen, don't, don't let these words just, I know you've heard them before, let them sink in. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, demonstrated, made visible, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We deserve to die so that we might live. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big word, but it just means that he bore the wrath like we just sung. We deserve that judgment. We deserve that condemnation. We're guilty as charged. Jesus bore all of that. He drank it down to the dregs. It's finished and he gives us the cup of salvation. So how do you respond to this? Well, Peter actually shows us how not to respond to this, okay? But you gotta love him. Verse eight, Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And he's every man, so we, we probably shouldn't laugh at Peter because he's a mirror of what's in us so much. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, Peter didn't see the signpost. He didn't understand. So when Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, he was saying, listen, Peter, if you don't think you need my cleansing service, if you don't think you need me to serve you by dying for you so that my blood can cover and cleanse you of your sin, then you will have no share with me. 
You won't be a co-heir with me. You won't be a son of my father, an heir of the the eternal inheritance that belongs to all of God's beloved children. And obviously Jesus loved Peter too much to leave him in this spot. Okay, but he's saying to Peter, if you, re- if you refuse, and he's saying to us, Lord Jesus is saying to us, if you re- refuse my service, you reject the gospel. Because the Son of Man came not to be served. He doesn't need it. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does that mean for us? It means that we do not try to earn God's favor. It can't be earned. It can't be bought We cannot earn God's favor. We can never put God in our debt. You could never earn salvation as a paycheck. It's a gift. So we can never adopt a debtor's ethic with God, trying to pay him back with our service. So once you become a Christian, you only actually go further into debt. Have you ever thought about it that way? Because any service that you do is in the strength that he supplies, so he gets the glory, you get the strength, and everybody's happy. But if, if we treat God like we treat so many people that show us hospitality, you had me over, I should probably have you over, you gave me a gift, I should give you a gift. If we try to do that with God, we're try, trying to turn grace into a business transaction. And that nullifies grace. Peter If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So we only go further into debt, and that's awesome. It's wonderful. We are always the beneficiaries. He is always the benefactor. He always, therefore, gets the glory. We sung these great songs. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I pour contempt on all my pride. What do I have to boast in except the cross? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast in anything else. So, if we don't first realize our need for Jesus to serve us, we will try to serve our way into heaven. We will try to earn our way in. We will try to be good enough. Or, if we don't first allow Jesus to serve us, we will refuse to stoop to serve others, especially those that we deem not worthy of our service. They don't deserve it. Because see, we, we start to do this hierarchy thing. If it's not free grace, if we're not just, oh my goodness, Jesus, thank you. And we're trying to earn it, then we're going to look down on the people that we think aren't keeping the same hours as we are. And we're not going to stoop to serve them. We're going to have too much pride to do that. Too much, it's going to be too risky, too much loss. We'll let the hierarchies and the dividing walls of our world dictate who we're willing to love and how much we're willing to love them. So only when we know the extent to the utmost, the extent of Christ's love for us, how he loved us to the end, will we be able, will we be willing to love anyone, everyone to the end, to the fullest extent. So you only give this kind of love if you know this kind of love. And the more you know this kind of love, the more you will be empowered to give this kind of love. So 
I hope you want a love like this. I hope you want that prayer to be answered so that you have power and strength to overflow with that love so that you can pour it out on other people. That's exactly where Jesus goes next, to the example, let us love one another like Jesus did. But we, we've got to get the horse before the cart. It's his love that empowers our love. So look at John 13, 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And obviously Jesus is the master. He's the greatest master. And if he serves in the lowliest place, what right do we have to reject that path? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then let your eyes scan down to verse 34. Same chapter. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Good Friday is a call to see the demonstration of God's love. God demonstrates his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the lowliest of of service, cross and slave, foot washing as a parable of it, a pointer to it. And also, Good Friday is a call for us, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, it's a call to us to climb down the ladder with Jesus. So if Jesus absolutely destroyed the social hierarchies of his time. This means that the gospel destroys all the social, racial, ethnic, economic hierarchies or whatever other hierarchies and barriers that are so often dividing lines and walls between people in our world. In the church, we are one in Christ. We are all the ground's level at the foot of the cross, right? At this table, we're all seated in places of honor, <laughs> none of which we deserve, right? So what great preparation for us to participate in the table. If you have a share in Christ, then come share in that grace tonight and say, Jesus, thank you. And then, in the strength of his service, his love, let's humbly go and love certainly our brothers and sisters in the church and love this world in a way that they would know that we must be following a humble, loving Savior that was willing to love this world to the utmost. Okay? So if the men who are going to serve can come forward, take a few moments to prepare your hearts. 
Um, if there are any of you here that, that don't have a share with Christ, we would plead with you to, to see your need of a Savior and to turn from your sins and to run to Jesus as your Savior and trust him. If you have questions, if you want to talk to somebody afterwards, I'd be happy to talk to you um, afterwards and, and tell you more about what it means to become a Christian. But for those of you who do, who have trusted in Christ as your Savior, we invite any of you um, in Christ to come and participate in the table and to say, Jesus, thank you, and to feed on that grace, that humble love demonstrated at the cross, and to ask the Lord to empower us to love one another just as he's loved us. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is writing to the church there about the troubles when they gather around the table, they're not recognizing the body. And there's all kinds of in and out, rich and poor, and there's all this division. They weren't recognizing. They weren't seeing the implications of the gospel. So if there's any divisions, if there's any sin, if there's any broken relationships, you know, 1 Corinthians 11 would say, you know what, it would be better, better to just stop right now, go make a phone call <laughs> than to eat and drink judgment on yourself. Just, it's better to get that worked out, get it right, and then come to the table. So if, if you need to examine your heart and you find that, just go deal with that. It's okay. That would be much better than eating and drinking judgment on yourself. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll distribute the elements and... There'll be just the instrumentalist playing in the background. You can prayerfully prepare your heart. Once everyone is served, then we'll participate. We'll, we'll partake of the, the bread and the, and the cup together, okay? Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your great love. Father, we thank you for demonstrating your love in sending your Son Spirit, we thank you for pouring out the love of God into our hearts so that what was done on the cross becomes real to us in our hearts as you open our eyes and, and renew and wash our hearts clean. So Lord, we do thank you and we pray that we would Eat and drink at your table, humbled by your humble love. And that we would be empowered and strengthened to love, just like our great, humble Savior, Jesus, did. In his name we pray. Amen.